0: It's been an incredible treat to be here this weekend and uh, just to experience what God's doing in this local expression of the body of Christ. And uh, just to see God's hand on Andrew and Rochelle's lives and just the way you guys are leading with servant leadership. And we're just So proud of you. God's been uh, inviting us to go deeper this weekend. And if you've been here and you've been experiencing what God's been saying and doing, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you've said yes to Jesus in some way, if you surrendered or yielded to Him, if you've experienced a touch from Him, This weekend, just put your hand up. We have been just going deeper and deeper in the presence of God. And I believe that what God's doing in this local expression of the church is going to light a fire in churches, local expressions of churches all around this region. And around the world, this church is an incubator church. What God's doing here, he's incubating something that's going to spread. It is spreading. And so I just uh, want to continue to call you to pursue the presence of Jesus. Do whatever he's asking you to do. Obey him radically. The evidence that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit is that you have power to love. Love and you've got power to witness. So we'll all find out this week, next week, whether you've actually had a genuine experience with the Holy Spirit, because that's how it's expressed. It's expressed in radical love. It's expressed in the capacity to humble yourself and die to self. It's expressed in your capacity to boldly bear witness to the reality of Jesus in your life. As Andrew said, we were training young people for many years, young adults. Uh, As part of that, we started an alliance of training programs, five organizations, five training programs were were the initial kind of group, and then we took took 2% of everyone's tuitions, and we just put it into a seed fund to start training programs in Africa and Asia, also all owned by local clusters of churches. So... Today, there's over 2,500 of these programs, okay? Training tens of thousands of people every year. My role right now is just to go around the world and lay foundations in the lives of these leaders all over the world. Last year, 4,000 churches were planted by this network of training programs. 4,000 churches. This... Two weeks ago I was in Turkey where the church is new. It's just it's less than a generation old. Most believers are five years old, eight years old, two years old in the Lord. They all come out of Muslim backgrounds. One of the things I was teaching on was the church. What is the church? Now we're teaching on this in a country where there's a town called Ephesus. Like The letter to the Ephesians was written there. Paul did most of his ministry in what's now Turkey. The church was a persecuted, tenaciously Jesus-focused missional community. That's who we were for a couple of hundred years. And then in 313, the Roman Emperor Constantine was engaging a major battle. His mother had already found Christ. She was influencing him. He was resisting. Romans at that time worshipped idols, family gods. In this decisive battle, Constantine asked God for a sign, and he saw, according to his witness or his testimony, the sign of a cross in the clouds. That was, for him, confirmation that he was supposed to engage this battle. He won a decisive victory, and he gave the credit to God. And although the one he is following, Jesus, said, love your enemies, uh, he he said, this is because of Jesus. And so uh, he converted, quote-unquote. And he turned the Roman Empire into a Christian empire. And we went, in a generation, we went from being a persecuted minority. When the word church was used, it was used of a subversive group of people who were bringing the culture of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. It was a community, an ecclesia, a body and it became an institution. The first cathedral was built in Trier, Germany. About 100 years later, they built something really big in what's now Istanbul, at that time Constantinople. They built the Hagia Sophia, uh, the, the largest church, the largest church building, the largest building period for 1,000 years. When the Ottoman Empire was targeting this Roman Empire and this Christian Empire, they were going after Constantinople. That was the the prize, and the center of the prize was the Hagia Sophia. And they went after that, they sieged the city, lots of people died, and then they conquered this institution, and they established their own institution of Islam. They copied the Hagia Sophia and built the Blue Mosque just across the street. Exact copy of it. And now tourists all over the world witness these two great big edifices to religious history. But where is Jesus in the story? Jesus today is calling out men and women from that society and reestablishing replanting the body of Christ in Turkey. And there are now thousands of Turks who have found Jesus. Some of them have been to prison. My friend, Hakan was almost killed a few months ago. Some demonically crazed, when you bind Satan and you say no, uh, and you say get out, it's not, you know, we're not playing games here. Hakan has planted four churches in Istanbul alone in the last five years. Uh, One of his neighbors, he doesn't even know him, some some crazed person knocked on his door in the middle of the night, said, I got water problems, can you help me? Hakan said, sure. The guy pulled out a butcher knife and almost cut his throat open. In his shoulder, almost cut off three fingers, his arm got opened up. I mean, crazy, he could have died. Wrestled the guy to the ground. Half an hour later, emergency people showed up. Middle of the night. So these demons are looking to kill him. This, uh, this, is, this is going on in a country where the, the battle's hot. So we're talking to the church there about what it means to be the church. What is the church? Is it the institution? Is it the Hagia Sophia, which is now a mosque? Is that the church? Is the church a building? Is the church a service? What's the church? It's the people. It's what you just saw earlier. Where Gretchen is loving Christina. Where life is being expressed. The church is the body of Christ. The church is us. The church is a community. This is the definition that we came up with at Global Disciples on the church. The church is a community of disciples of Jesus Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit and focused on being God's ambassadors to others. They love one another They are devoted to God's word and to prayer, joyful, sharing lives, celebrated in worship, communion, and baptism. The church is not an institution. It is a body. It is a living organism. And it is on mission. And if you've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, you have an assignment to bear witness to that reality in the world around you. It's not just more of the same, coming to church and getting more and more and more. It's actually what you do in this world that matters. And uh, God is interested in walking with you through. Ephesians chapter 5, we were talking about this this week, and we've actually been on this weekend. I've been focusing on Friday night, just what it means to personally be contending for intimacy with Jesus and asking, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point of you and Jesus? The point is oneness. Oneness with Jesus, and it's that point that the enemy is contending against. It's that point that he's fighting to separate you from the love of God. He wants to block your intimacy with Jesus. He wants to interfere with it, and he wants to get you off on some other tangent, some other focus. And then we were talking about what it means to be contending for the point in your, in your family, in your marriage. The point is oneness. God brings men and women together for oneness. God puts us in family to, to experience his, his unity, his presence, and to love one another. And so that oneness is being attacked in families and in marriages. And my question is, what's the point of the church? What's the point of us gathering together? It is Meeting with Jesus, as we've already talked about. Not just meeting with him, but intimacy with Jesus. The manifold presence of Jesus, which the enemy is against. He wants to block that. And I love the passionate pursuit of the presence of Jesus in this place. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know that that's not normal. We're not playing games here, and I love that. I love that. The point is the presence of Jesus and then not just us and Jesus but us together pursuing Jesus. So unity is the point. Jesus is interceding for us and the intercession that you know he gave in the last hours of his life in John 17 is focused on this exact thing. You know these words? If you've read the Gospels, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. That's the point. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. The manifest presence of God, the glory of God, is the key to unity. Unity doesn't get uh, achieved as an end in itself. Unity is a byproduct of seeking the throne of God together. Right, So you're going to come out of a weekend like this feeling more unified. It's the byproduct, the fruit of pursuing the throne of God together and being in the presence of God together. Unity comes out of experiencing the glory of God Jesus is interceding for unity, and he's saying, Father, I've given them your glory. In other words, you're not going to get to unity without glory. If you don't care about glory, you're not going to get to unity. Glory, the manifest presence of God, is the key to the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer for the church. Are you with me? I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that the, they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So the unity is expressed in love, love for God, love for each other. That's the way you know you've been in the presence of God together. This unity, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, is not just... For God's work in your midst, it is a witness to the principalities and powers. Ephesians three ten says His intent. His intent. This is the point. God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What God does in revealing himself through his glory to a bunch of people who are seeking his face is a witness in how they respond to that glory. By loving each other, by doing sacrificial things to love each other, that is a collective witness to the powers of darkness. Those are the same powers Paul said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting people. We are fighting principalities and powers. That's the wrestle. That's who we're up we're up against. And they want to stop this. That's what they want to stop. This. And the unity that we experience together is a collective witness to the unseen powers. Because what's he done? He's been talking in the first three chapters, he's been talking about coming into unmediated relationship with God through Jesus. He's been, he shares the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2. And then he talks about how in Christ... The barriers have gone down between Jew and Gentile. The unity that's now possible because of Jesus is a radical witness to the world and the principalities and powers that God is alive and at work in transforming people's lives. That's the the collective witness. And when that's going on in any part of the world today, people sit up and they take note. This world is fractured and divided this world is desperately looking for an expression of community that's real. That's real. People who love each other and care about each other in practical ways, who seek God and experience his presence and love in ways that makes a difference in how they live in the community around them. So this is what the world's looking for. This is our witness in the world around us. This is Jesus's prayer for us this is what he's calling us to this was Paul's prayer for the church and it's our collective witness even in the unseen realm this is also as I said earlier being opposed now you've just gone through revelation the entire book is a survey and I understand you've gone through each chapter and so chapter 12 is not new to you But chapter 12 ends with these words, and the dragon, meaning Satan himself, was enraged at the woman. The woman's symbolic of Israel, and then by extension, the offspring of the woman is Jesus and those who follow him within the Jewish tradition, the church, and now all of us who've been brought in as Gentiles into the church. The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. That's us. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. So we've got an enemy. He's angry. He wants to stop what's happening right here, because this is a witness to the world that God is alive and at work. We clear on all that? We're in a battle. They say, "I'm not really into fighting. Tough. It's part of the deal. If you hold to the testimony of Jesus, if you hang on to Jesus, you have just inherited an enemy. He wants to take you out. Get used to it. It doesn't stop. It's 24-7. That's the, that's the new normal. And the closer you go to Jesus, the more you pursue him, the more you work at uh, just just focusing on him, making him the the first thing you think think about in the morning, the last thing you think about during you know when you when you end the day, and just he becomes the central point of your life. You make that your central focus. You make him the point. You will hear and see more of the enemy's attacks and work against you. Don't be surprised. Jesus said it's normal. He did this to me. He'll do this to you. So this is part of the deal. It says in Revelations chapter 12 that there is a group of people who follow the Lamb who are known as this this thing we've just been talking about, the church. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but when the woman is about to give birth, the Satan creature, this demonic power, this dragon wants to devour her child. And that's... The enemy's attempt to kill Jesus. Then there's war in heaven. Satan's kicked out. He's kicked onto the earth. He was hurled to the earth. His angels with him. Revelation 12, verse 10. And heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God, day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him. That's us. And it's collective, it's not personal, it's collective. In other words, there's a collective battle and there's a collective response. They, us, the church, triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil's gone down to you and he's filled with fury because he knows his time is short." What I see happening is the enemy is taking on the church in a way that's unprecedented. Many, many, many people are falling away. Many people are falling away. Lots of the church has been decimated through a variety of reasons, but certainly the last two and a half years have not been easy on the church. And many people have uh, chosen to have a privatized expression of faith. Some of you might even be in here saying, I'm, I'm kind of done with the church. Really? Really? No, you're not. No, you're not. You are not done with the church. The church is what this thing's all about for all eternity. The church is the bride. The church is the point. The church is why Jesus gave his life. You might be disillusioned at the institution, but you are not disillusioned with the church that Jesus gave his life for. That is that is the point. And the church is, is actually being refined. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, this church will be pure, this church will be spotless, this church will be radiant. This church is being prepared like a bride for a bridegroom. Now, there are people that are falling away. There are people that are disillusioned with the institution and the religious kind of monotonous, same old, same old. That is going to happen. But out of that, the church is being purified. The church is being refined and the church is being prepared for the return of the bridegroom. And one side of this story is getting hotter and getting more radiant and in love with Jesus, and that's what I see happening right here. And the other part of it is just falling away like those 10 virgins. Some had oil and some didn't. Some were ready and some weren't. And some were awake and some stayed asleep. This whole weekend's about waking up, hasn't it? Some of you woke up. You woke up spiritually. You heard your name The Lord spoke to you. It's like Lazarus coming out of the grave. You heard the Lord speak to you. And you woke up. And now you're coming alive. Lazarus had his grave clothes pulled off. And that takes a little work, doesn't it? that takes a little work that takes often someone else's assistance you can't pull your own, own grave clothes off and so we were doing some of that last night weren't we praying over things pulling off dead stuff saying this is this, you don't need this anymore this this is death pulling off dead grave clothes and just releasing people that have been woken up that are alive that are alive, releasing them to their purpose and their destiny. We're overcomers. We overcome by the blood of the lamb. We started this weekend with communion. We started this weekend with a declaration of the blood of Christ, the body of Christ given for us. We started this weekend that way. We declared as overcomers, Jesus has done everything that's needed for our freedom, our deliverance, our transformation, our salvation. It is finished. It is done. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Now, our accuser is trying to throw our sins in our face, right? He's saying, this is who you were. This is what you've done. You don't deserve any of this. In the face of the accuser's accusations... We have the blood of the lamb. And we, we-, we wield that weapon. He's also a deceiver. And he yields that weapon very effectively around the world. He is leading the whole world astray. There are world religions today that have billions of people in them. Based on deception. I was... Speaking in northern Iraq um, a while ago, and I shared a little testimony of praying with this bodyguard. And and, uh, anyway, uh, we had ministry time at the end of the service. And we, we used a wedding hall in Erbil, northern Iraq. So it wasn't a church. And people came from many backgrounds to this event. And this guy comes up to me he just, he was sitting like second, third row and he came running up to me afterwards. He like, you got to pray for me. And so I I said, okay, you know, you know, I'm always asking the Lord, how do do we pray? And I said, I just felt led to ask him, who are you? Because I could just tell he carried authority. He carried authority. And he says, uh, he just looks down and I can just tell he's thinking, do I tell him who I am? This guy was the leading Wahhabi, which is the r- radical kind of Islamic interpretation of the Quran. He's the leading Wahhabi scholar in Egypt. He is a Salafist. He is the, the religious inspiration for ISIS. He is the right hand man of Morsi, the president of Egypt. Okay? That guy is in a, a gospel meeting where Jesus is being proclaimed. Can you believe that? Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. It gets better. It gets better. So this guy is on the run. He's on the run with all of Morsi's guys because what happened was Mubarak, who was the president, of, just indulge me for a second. Mubarak was the president of Egypt. Mubarak bombed, his interior minister bombed two Christian churches and blamed it on the Salafist. Because Mubarak does not like radical Muslims. They bombed two churches, killed people, and then they blamed on the Salafist. And one night they arrested 300 Salafist leaders, put them in prison, and that's that's what lit the fuse for the Tahrir Square demonstrations where literally millions of people erupted and demonstrated every night for months until the government of Mubarak fell. You remember that? That was caused by those 300 people, those Salafist radical Muslims getting arrested. When they got, when the whole Mubarak fell, they got released. This guy got released. He went straight to the interior ministry, which they were sacking and burning right that night. He went there, found evidence of the interior ministry setting off bombs for those two churches. He put that evidence online. And the first person they arrested was the interior minister, the most powerful man in Egypt. They arrested him. Then he's in government with Morsi. It was a gong show for two years. These guys were, it was a gong show. All the police and military stood down. The the country was in chaos. And finally, the military took over the country again. Kicked the Salafists out. Morsi and his gang fled for the exits. This guy Reading the white writing on the wall, uh, he headed for Iran. He's a he's a Shiite. You know, he's he's a Sunni Muslim. He goes to a, a Shiite Muslim country. Why? Because he has become disillusioned with Muhammad. He's been reading, and he discovers that Muhammad had like a nine-year-old bride, and he discovers that he is marrying relatives, and he's like, okay, this is like called child something. This is bad. This is like, no, this can't be right. Muhammad can't have married a nine-year-old. This is wrong. He can't have married his cousin. No, this is wrong. But this is the whole thing. So he researches it and he doesn't have clear answers. He's like, you know, these infidels in the West are lying online with these, you know, these different historical accounts of this. This can't be true. He's the, he's the leading Quranic scholar. He's the guy literally on TV who's, who's being interviewed all the time. He is the Quran answer man. So when the answer man has got questions, where does he go? He went to the leading seminary in Iran, and he's researching whether Shia Islam had another story on Muhammad. In the oldest Quranic manuscripts, he wants to know, is there a different deal on Muhammad? And it's the same story. He corroborates it all. Yeah, he married nine-year-old. Yeah, he married his cousin. Yeah, this man should be in jail. He's like, okay, I'm done. My wife and I are done. But you can't just walk away when you're that high profile in Islam. You can't just walk away. So where does he go? So he goes to, uh, he researches Hinduism. Hinduism, there's no God. It's just this, this circular thing. Buddhism is the same, same deal. There's thousands of gods in Hinduism. Buddhism is this, you know, this nothingness. And he's just, you know, he just, he's, uh, he's disillusioned. He knows there's a creator, but he doesn't, he doesn't know how he can find him. And then he reads the gospels and he discovers Jesus, Esau in the Quran, And he reads about a man who you can worship and follow, whose words are truth, and will transform you. And he just falls in love with Jesus. He does this totally himself. He comes to our meeting wanting freedom, desperate. And what he asks me for prayer for is he says, pray I don't fall back into Islam because it's so powerful, but I'm just in this in-between place right now. So I pray for him and I clear the whole uh, day, the next day to be with him, teach him to pray he comes to the meeting that evening. He gets totally delivered of all his demons. He's lying on the ground. Demons are getting cast out of him. This guy got set free. He got filled with the Holy Spirit. He is a completely different guy. Amen? He is, he is leading Muslims. He is leading Muslims all over the Middle East to Jesus through online witness. I tried to get him to Canada. He can't. You know, He's not going to get in here. He has, to go, he has to go back through Egypt to get into Canada. So he is stuck, but he is exactly where God wants him. But I want you to be praying for this man. So the deception of the enemy in Islam is being unmasked, is being exposed. The deception of the enemy in all other world religions is being exposed. And the reality of Jesus, the reality of who he is, what he came to bring is being revealed through people like you and me in our how we live our lives and how we give witness and testimony to the reality of Jesus in our lives. When you've been set free from demons, you know this is not a game, it's real. It's real. That's what got my attention 40 years ago. I saw the reality of Jesus setting people free and I said, "Okay, I'm in. I want to be a freedom fighter for my generation." I want to be a freedom fighter They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. We bear witness and testimony to the reality of Jesus every day. It's either positive or negative. So be a witness. If you've encountered Jesus this weekend, be bold in sharing the love of Christ and the witness of what he's doing in your life, who he is in your life this week. I was talking to a guy in Turkey. His wife and him and kids were there on a vacation. Marjorie and I had a few days together together at the coast, and this guy was there, and he's, uh, he's, a, he's a detective. He's a detective in Germany, he's Turkish background, and he's, he's, he's Islam, he's, he's Muslim, and just had the most incredible conversation with him. I said, don't focus on the institution, don't focus on religion, but focus on Jesus. Jesus is what you're looking for, man. Jesus is what you're looking for. That's all you gotta do, point people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is at work drawing people to himself. And so give witness to Jesus. They overcame by the blood of the lamb the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. So the devourer is at the the foot of the woman wanting to devour the child. That's what the enemy does. He devours marriages. He devours lives. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill anything that represents God in your life. He's a devourer. We overcome him by laying down our lives, ironically, okay? You might not be able to get your head around that because this world tells you it's all about you. Preserve your life. Actualize yourself. Better yourself. Become everything you were ever meant to be, and it's all about you. And Jesus says, would you shift the focus from you to me? Would you lay down your life? If you want to follow me, you've got to actually deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. You've got to actually let go of your life. You can't have your life and my life at the same time. It doesn't work that way. So we've got to actually surrender. This is the way we confront the devourer in our day who wants to take your life. If you've already given your life up, you're not afraid. Okay? You're not afraid of rejection at the lunch table at work. You're not afraid of rejection at school. You're not afraid of losing your life in small ways or big ways. You're not afraid of going to Iraq. You're not afraid of going to Saudi Arabia if God calls you there. You're not afraid of anything. Why? You're dead. Are you with me? Live dead. Live dead. The devourer is up against us. If you lay down your life, you are an overcomer. You will overcome. You will overcome. Now some of you still have those grave clothes on you. The fear of man. The pride of life. Look what, I, look what I've accomplished. Look who I am. The lust of our eyes. Lust of our hearts. Those grave clothes got to go. They got to go. They got to go. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony and we love not our lives unto death. We are the church, and we overcome. Amen. Amen. We're going to close this service here with prayer, and I want to invite you, if you're carrying some grave clothes, if you've got stuff wrapped around you, And you want to be free. We want to minister to you. We want to pull off that stuff. And Jesus wants to set you free. Jesus wants to set you free. He wants you to walk in the resurrection life that he came to bring. He wants you to walk in all the fullness, the authority, the power that he offered us in the gospel. And so that's our prayer. And so as we close this service, um, again, I want to invite the worship team up. And... uh, we're gonna be spending some time ministering together in the presence of the Lord as we close this service. Let's invite Jesus to meet us here. Lord, thank you that you've been speaking to us this morning. Thank you for these simple words. Thank you, Lord, that you've got our attention and our eyes are on you. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the ways in which you've been speaking personally to us. Thank you that you know each one here in this room by name. And I thank you, Lord, that as we're born again, you actually can get to rename us and I thank you that there's purposes and destinies and assignments for people in this room. Some of those assignments involve the destiny of nations. I thank you, Father, that we are not small, but Lord, when we are connected in relationship with you, we are, we are, we are very large. We have incredible potential. And I thank you, Father, for the life of your presence, your spirit that's calling us out of our grave clothes and into our purpose and our destiny. And so I'm asking that wherever, Lord, this this longing is being expressed right now in the hearts of people in this room, wherever that longing is being expressed to be everything you've called them to be, to be overcomers who live this simple message of Jesus, the blood of the lamb and the witness of their testimony and and their willingness to lay down their lives and just live dead. I'm asking, Lord, that that longing would be fulfilled here this morning. Would you fulfill that longing this morning? Jesus, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Lord, I, my sense is that there's a lot of people that want to respond to that, and so I'm just asking, how would you want to minister to us here? Thank you, Jesus. So it's Jesus who's our deliverer. It's Jesus who's our our shepherd who can actually lead us into freedom. And so I'm just going to invite you to kneel down. We've been doing that through the weekend. And uh, just if if that's your desire to get some grave clothes pulled off of you, just uh, kneel down in a posture of humility before the Lord. Slip out of your seat. Just kneel where you are. Kneel down. If you want to get out of your rows, you want to get out of your chairs, you want to get up at the front here, that's fine. But just kneel down where you are. Kneel down. Kneel before the King. We've been worshiping Him. We've been exalting Him. The presence of Jesus is here. Kneel before Him and let Him know exactly what you want Him to do. If you've been living below your potential and you know that there's things that have to come off your life, there is grave clothes that are wrapped around you. He's already called you into life. You've already said yes to him, but there's stuff that's wrapped around you that needs to be taken off. We want to lead you in that freedom prayer. Pray with me here. Jesus. Jesus. You spoke my name. I heard your voice. I've come out. I've woken up. A lot more you need to say that. If that's your prayer, repeat after me. Jesus, you've spoken my name. I heard your voice. I'm awake. Release me from everything that's held me back. Every sin that has surrounded me and bound me. Free me from these clothes. I want to be clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ. I renounce and repent for everything that has blocked your glory in my life. Release me now in Jesus' name. I bind and resist and you fill in the blank. Pride, lust, perversion, fear, anger, bitterness, death, whatever it is, you speak it out. I bind and I resist in Jesus' name, and you fill in the blank and you speak it out with your own will. You tell the Lord what you want Him to do. Jesus, I'm asking that you'd walk up and down these rows. Walk up and down these rows and set people free. Set people free, Jesus. Release them. Pull these groves. These grave clothes off, Lord Jesus. Release them. Release them. Release them. Release them. Be released in Jesus' name. And hey Lord, as you look at us, You look at us not through those grave clothes. You look at us as sons and daughters loved by our Heavenly Father. You look at us with eyes of love. And I'm asking Jesus that you would speak lovingly to your sons and daughters here now. You would let us know tenderly who we are. Lord, if there's names you wanna give us, I ask you to speak those names to us. Lord, if there's purposes that you wanna give us, I ask you to give us a glimpse of that. Lord, if there's things that, You're calling us into, I ask you to give us a glimpse of that. I ask Lord Jesus that you would speak to each person who's responding to your invitation here this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of who we are. You're worthy of everything. We are laying our lives at your feet and we're saying we are yours. We belong to you. We belong to the lamb. We will follow the lamb wherever he goes. Thank you, Jesus. We are overcomers. We are your church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you've gifted the church with everything we need to overcome. And I ask, Lord, that you would release gifts of your Spirit here this morning, that equip us to fulfill the purposes, the destiny, the callings, the assignments over our lives. Thank you that you're the gift giver. And I'm asking for every gift needed to accomplish our end time purposes as the church. Thank you, Jesus. A number of years ago, I was two, three years into this training program with young people and the Lord said, let go of everything that's controlling you. So I, I resigned my job at the church. I, re- I said, I'm not going back to seminary that fall. And I just, I gave up my job leading young people in the youth mission program. And I came at the end of that summer with nothing, literally nothing. It was the summer of 1990 or 91. And I had nothing. I went to a friend's cottage. I was fasting and praying. I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills. I had a young family. I had nothing. And the Lord Jesus met me that week in an incredible way. It was a honeymoon week with Jesus. It was intimacy. He filled me with his spirit. He gave me another spiritual language, a spiritual language that I used to worship Jesus, that I used in warfare. He filled me with his presence, and he called me to what I'm doing right now. He called me to things that I've been walking in for the last 30 some odd years when Jesus has your attention when he calls you out of the grave and he sets you free and he fills you with his his spirit there's more there is always more there's always more there's always more and if you want more than even you've experienced till now While we close this service, we're going to be praying for more people here in whatever giftings the Lord has put in your heart that you want to receive. There's opportunities to get equipped and empowered for what he's releasing us into in these last days. And so we're just going to give some space for that as we close the service here and uh, release the rest of you here to go be about your day. So, Father, I want to thank you for what you've done here this morning. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in this church through this weekend, for this last year, for this last years. Thank you, God, that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I thank you for everything you're doing in this body of believers, that this body of believers is moving forward with you and that, Lord, we are on a mission being led by you. You are riding and we are following, and I thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail. I thank you that you are winning nations, tribes and tongues and peoples from the remotest parts of the world. I thank you that we get to participate in that in these last days, and I thank you, Lord, that you are bringing in a global, awesome harvest of lives and souls that are going to stand before your throne for all eternity. And I thank you for that incredible destiny. And I can see it, Lord. Thank you. I thank you for reminding us of these things this morning. And I ask you to seal this work of the Holy Spirit. May the enemy not snatch this away. May it bear fruit in the lives of all of us here this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So as you're, as you're released to go, we're going to continue to be here. And if you want to receive prayer for any, anything that uh, the Lord's been saying to you, in particular gifts and, and uh, just the equipping of the Holy Spirit, stick around, come on up. And there's still, we got time for you.